There's a story that composer Lee Sang Yun told in 1977. Here's how it goes. In the East, if a pregnant woman dreams of a dragon, they believe that her child has a special fate. My mother dreamed of a dragon before my birth, but it was not a completely happy dream. She told me that she saw a great dragon, which flew in the sky over the Jiri Mountain, which lay opposite my birthplace, Sanchenggun. The dragon was between the clouds over the mountain, and it flew, but it did not ascend high into the heavens. It could not. It was wounded. My mother was shaken by the dream because it predicted a difficult but important fate for my future. At this point in the story, the interviewer Louise Rinser asked him, "How do you interpret the dream?" He answered, "You know my cello concerto. Remember the octave leaping toward the end. In the orchestra, the oboe slides from G sharp to the A, and this A is taken over by the trumpets, which in this high position always have for me something divine. The cello wants to reach it, but it does not succeed." It comes with its glissando a quarter tone higher than G sharp, but no higher. It gives up. The endless and inconceivable height, the absoluteness, the A of the trumpets, that remains until the end. I'm Seniva Kali. Welcome to Cello Century, where we reflect back on the heartache and the beauty of the 20th century. As heard through five of the great modern cello concertos. This week, we're listening to the cello concerto of Lee Sang Yun, written in 1976. There are only three recordings of this concerto that I know of, and one of them is by cellist Matt Heimovitz. Matt is an award-winning recording artist and a champion of new music. He's also our guest on today's episode. I didn't know anything about Isang Yun until about two years before I performed that concerto, and and we recorded it live. And it was actually in a conversation with a conductor, Dennis Russell Davies. Dennis knew Isang Yun and was friends with him, and he he said、uh, something about the Isang Yun cello concerto, and I said, "Wait a minute, who who's that? I've never heard of him." And so I went online and I found somebody's you know YouTube. Performance of the of the Isang Yun Concerto, and I was just right away riveted and blown away by this piece, and immediately called Dennis back and said, "I really want to do this piece. I hadn't seen the score yet." The cello writing, I hadn't seen anything like it. I heard anything like it, and. When I heard it, I just I I couldn't even imagine how it was notated. The mere challenge, or the sheer challenge of of his music, you know, starts off being unbelievably frustrating, and you feel like, oh my God, it's just too hard. I can't do this. And then you know, you wake up the next morning and you, you try again, and it, you know, it still doesn't work, and, it, and nothing nothing sticks. And then and then you start to have breakthroughs and it starts to stick and it starts to make sense and it starts to evolve into into something and you know i i i had to learn a new sense of patience um i remember showing everybody that i came into contact with at that time when i was learning it i was like look what i have to play and you know and everybody just took a glance at it and they were like 
how can you read all those notes? It seems ridiculous. And then after a while, it seems perfectly idiomatic and not ridiculous. And the thing about Izang Yun is that he was also a cellist. So there's nothing that he wrote that isn't playable. Technically, this concerto is written in one big movement, but it can be roughly sectioned off into four pieces. First, there's a strong, fast-moving opening section. This is followed by a pair of introspective solo cello cadenzas. Next, there's a slow, atmospheric section. And finally, a closing section that returns to the dramatic energy of the opening. Here's the beginning of the concerto. Every concerto is interesting in how it how it introduces the soloist, how it brings in the cello. But nothing, there's just nothing like this where you just start completely apeshit, you know, and just, just just going up and down the fingerboard and you know just digging in. And I mean, it starts triple forte and and all these sliding figures. orchestra, winds, brass, strings, and all manner of percussion instruments rail against the soloist with enormous aggression. The cellist moves in frenzied leaps. There's one high pitch that you can hear it sliding to repeatedly, a high A, which is the most important tone in the piece. Here's something Yun said at the German premiere of the work. When you hear this piece, you must know that it says much of me. You know that the cello is my favorite instrument. In this piece, it is my voice, the voice of my soul. The psychological narrative of this concerto had a very specific association for Yun. It tells the story of his two-and-a-half-year imprisonment at the hands of the South Korean government, from 1967 to 1969. The concerto was written one decade later. Political issues had always had a way of intruding on Yun's life. He was born in 1917 in undivided Korea, which was then under the oppressive colonization of Imperial Japan. As a teenager, he studied composition at the Osaka Conservatory in Japan, but he had to leave when the country became involved in World War II. Back in Korea, he worked with an anti-Japanese resistance group for the duration of the war. Once he was captured and tortured. Another time, to avoid capture, he climbed out of a window in the middle of the night, taking only his cello with him, which he lowered from the window by a string. 
After Korea split due to the power struggles of the Cold War, Yun never accepted the idea of two Korean nations. For the rest of his life, his dearest hope would be the reunification of Korea. When, in 1955, he won a scholarship to continue his music studies in Europe, he planned to go just for a couple of years. He experienced both growth and success as a composer in West Germany. There, he had the opportunity to attend Darmstadt, a summer festival that was the epicenter of the avant-garde and 12-tone serialism. By the mid-1960s, he was successfully touring all over Europe and the United States. But on June 17, 1967, Yun was abducted from his home in West Berlin by the KCIA, the Korean Central Intelligence Agency. Along with his wife Suja, he was taken to a South Korean prison to be interrogated under torture about his connections with North Korea. He had visited North Korea a few years prior to visit a friend, to tour the country, and to discuss with North Korean associates the possibility of national reunification. Yun maintained that he was not a spy, nor had he colluded with the North Korean government. Nevertheless, he was sentenced to lifelong imprisonment. In prison, Yun tried unsuccessfully to kill himself. His friends from the music community ultimately came to his aid. 161 musicians, including Stravinsky, Ligeti, and Stockhausen, signed a petition demanding his release. The West German government also stepped in to put political pressure on South Korea. Yun was discharged after two and a half years in prison. He returned to West Germany in 1970 and the following year became a German citizen. He would never return to his home country. Yun was an avid student of European serialism. This style of music broke away from traditional Western pitch hierarchy, a system dependent on the concepts of major and minor, consonance and dissonance. In serial music, the ear is saturated with the sound of all 12 chromatic tones. But that's not the only thing that gives Yun's music its distinctive sound. He also drew extensively on Korean folk music and the sounds of traditional Korean instruments. For me, listening to some of this music really helped me develop a better understanding of Yun's musical language. Yun described the difference between Western and Eastern musical traditions as the difference between a pencil line and a brush stroke. The line from a pencil has a distinct beginning and end. But think about the contour of a brush stroke in calligraphy. The beginning and the end are indistinct and flexible. And in the middle, anything can happen. As Yun said, there are many events within one brush stroke. Similarly, in Korean traditional music, the focus is on single tones and the development of each tone. Stringing different pitches together into an imposed pattern is not important. 
Rather, a single tone can be explored extensively through vibrato, glissando, and other kinds of ornamentation. This is pansori, a Korean opera style that combines one vocalist and a drummer in a musical narrative. In pansori, Korean traditional folk songs are interspersed with spoken word, onomatopoeic vocal effects, dance, and dramatic hand gestures that are often paired with a fan snapping open and closed. The drummer is an equal participant in the drama, responding to the singer and driving the narrative along with rhythm. You can hear how flexible the tones are, developed through vibrato and slides. Yun's love of traditional Korean sounds led him to produce his own compositional technique, which he called the technique of the main tone. In it, a single tone provides the nucleus for musical development. It begins with a small ornamentation of one or two grace notes, followed by a sustained note, which itself may be ornamented with melisma, slides, or various widths of vibrato. It's a way of exploring all the hidden potential of a single tone, just as you might explore the curve of your brush when you put pen to paper. As Yun said, in Asia, the single tone is not stubborn. Listen to how Yun develops a series of single tones in the cadenza section of the cello concerto. Through a painstaking system of notation, Yun indicated where the performer should use pizzicato, harmonics, microtones, and slides. The use of a plectrum evokes the sound of the Korean komungo, a six-string zither that is plucked with a bamboo stick. I got a, a whole array of plectrums to see what they sounded like, but actually the best one, I thought, was just a, a plastic electric guitar pick. Motion is created through the activity of the ornamentations. And yet, there's a sense of stasis as well, because the dominant sound is of just a few main tones. The orchestra inserts brief responses to the solo cadenzas. There are moments where the orchestra stops, and, and it's a cadenza, and it's for, for pianos, and it's utter desolation and the piece begins with this chaotic you know it's like you're losing your mind basically and um and here it's just you can hear a pin drop
From the intimate cadenzas, the music flows forward into the second main section of the piece, the most lyrical part. Here's how Yun describes this section. The man falls into an extreme plight in which he will be forced to give up his own will. In addition, no one helps him. He is totally alone. And he contemplates death and must become a friend to it. When he was lying awake in the prison at nights, Yun would listen to a Buddhist monk who came in to give burial ceremonies to the dead. The monk beat on a temple block in a rhythm that sounded like a triplet. The cellist begins a long, strenuous climb into the stratosphere, culminating with a return to the jagged leaps of the opening. This launches the closing section of the piece. play a crucial role in Lee Zong-yeon's music. That's because for him, contrast was a way of evoking the concept of Tao. In the philosophy of the Tao, opposites are necessary for oneness and balance in the universe. Yin and yang, good and evil, light and dark, life and death. These contrasts balance each other in life and for Yun in music. Dynamic contrasts can be heard clearly throughout the concerto. Walls of sound from the orchestra are contrasted with the isolated voice of the cello. Yun has made a very unusual scoring choice. Despite the large size of the ensemble, there are no other cellists in the orchestra. The soloist is the only one, an isolated voice against massive opposing forces. Throughout the score, Yun uses dynamics in extremes all the way from four pianos to four fortes. The technique of the main tone also fits in with this idea of diversity within unity. The static nature of remaining on one tone is balanced by dense ornamentation within the tone. These opposites find their source in each other. This concept even influences the harmonies that Yun chooses. When he creates chords, he often starts from the framework of an open fourth or fifth, the purest and most consonant interval. Within that interval, he will add a minor second, one of the most dissonant intervals. 
yin within yang, dissonance within consonance. If you listen here to the accompaniment in the horns and the winds, you can hear the special sound of that chord saturating the atmosphere. At the end of the piece, the cello begins a series of octave leaps from G-sharp to G-sharp. It tries to reach the A, that pitch that represents transcendence and the absolute, but it never quite gets there. At one point, it sustains a screaming high G-sharp for seven full measures over the tumult of the orchestra. He really developed his own voice, his own language, a whole different sound world and different, different palette. I started to really connect with his sense of pitch, you know, like, like his high A's that permeate a lot of his output. And the ending, for sure, this kind of crying out and striving for, you know, just, just reaching for that high A, getting closer and closer and closer and, and then not reaching it. And he's stuck on G-sharp and then a little higher than G-sharp and that's it. It just gets cut short. Both North and South Korea celebrated Yun's music as a source of national pride, even holding music festivals in his honor. But neither could ever reconcile with the composer himself. As a South Korean citizen, Yun was not allowed to travel to North Korea. He also refused to return to South Korea because the government had never apologized for his wrongful imprisonment. A year before his death, he announced that he would cease from all political activities because both North and South had lost their credibility for him. At his home in Berlin, there was a little pond in the yard in the shape of the Korean peninsula, united with no dividing line. He had a bamboo tree planted in the pond representing his own birthplace. Someone asked him once to talk about his musical success. He said, Success? What is success? A shadow which passes by. I work as much and as well as I can, and one day I'd like to quit and go back to my Korea and sit there by the seashore very quietly, and just fish and listen to the music in my mind without writing it down and find myself in the great silence. And there I also want to be buried in the warmth of my native earth.
Yun was buried in Berlin in 1995. Thanks for joining me today, and thanks again to our guest, Matt Heimovitz. There's a lovely video documenting Matt's visit to Izong Yun's home in Berlin. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Matt Heimovitz Discovers Izong Yun. Next week, you know how light looks when it's broken through a prism? What if you could hear the sonic version of that? If you're intrigued, you'll want to join me for Notes on Light, a 2006 cello concerto written by Kaya Sariaho. Come on.